and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. In the fall, the Jewish people celebrate a series of holy days. These take place in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar known as Tishrei. The first two holidays are known to many of you, our listeners, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But following Yom Kippur is a less well-known holiday uh, in the non-Jewish world known as Sukkot. Sometimes Sukkot is known as the Feast of the Tabernacles. This morning, my guest, Mark Levin, the founding rabbi of Beth Torah Congregation in uh, just outside Kansas City, Missouri, is going to chat with me about the holiday of Sukkot and an even less well-known holiday known as Shmini Atzeret. Mark Levin is a native of Baltimore, Maryland, and graduated from Boston University. He received his Master's of Arts in Hebrew Letters and his ordination as a rabbi from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. He completed his doctorate in Hebrew Letters through the same institution in 2001 and also is the recipient of an honorary doctor of divinity. He has been a congregational pulpit rabbi for Congregation Beth Torah, uh, and was its founding rabbi in 1988, and retired from that position in 2014. And at that time, he was um, accepted the position of founding rabbi. He is uh, well-known as an author and uh, a speaker of great erudition, and it's a pleasure once again to welcome him to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Good morning, Rabbi Levin. It's wonderful to be together, and thank you for that introduction. I, 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 I don't know how to... I sound good. <laughs> you, you sound excellent. And in looking up your bio, I noticed that everywhere else you speak, they only list one sentence about you. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. What yes, was the, what's the one sentence? I, I think you're worthy of more than one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. as I indicated in the brief introduction, um, many people are aware in the non-Jewish world and certainly even in the Jewish world of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret are lesser festivals. And so let's begin with the biblical origins of those festivals. They're listed in Leviticus 23. Uh, Leviticus 23 is, a, is the best known. Of course, the book of Leviticus is about uh, holiness and how to engage in holiness. Holiness being how do we draw close to God? God is ultimate holiness, and we share that holiness. As chapter 19 says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so. In chapter 23, we have holy times. As the philosopher Abraham Joshua Heschel emphasizes, holy times are the highest realm of holiness. Uh, it's a way in which we can participate somehow in, in ultimately in being as close to God as possible. 
So holy time is listed in Leviticus 23. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 16, we have a, a, a less complete list, but nonetheless, the festivals, this is one of the festivals, is there. Uh, the festivals are there. And so we have these two lists of times that we should celebrate in order to draw close to God. So when you use the word festival, it's a technical word in the Torah. Right. It refers to um, the three pilgrimage festivals. Correct. And, and Deuteronomy 16 that we've mentioned, uh, it, it says precisely that. And there's a mitzvah, a commandment, that, that the uh, people should show up three times a year in Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. This, of course, is also in Islam, where they have Hajj, Hajj being the same word as, as Chag, uh, <clears throat> in which uh, they go to Mecca. And, and, of course, we would, in the in ancient days when the temple existed, go to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. Now, did everyone go? No. Uh, if you were in Rome, it was quite the distance. Uh, but some people might send money, which would then be uh, changed into the money of the realm, which it had to be changed by uh, <clears throat> by money changers, which, of course, are recorded in Christian scripture, uh, the money changers at, on the road next to the Temple Mount, and they would buy a sacrifice and be represented in that way. So Sukkot is... Um one of these three pilgrimage festivals. Um, the other two, which we're not going to discuss this morning, uh, is Passover, which occurs in the first month, Nisan, the first month of the Hebrew calendar, and then Shavuot. Correct. Uh, which is a, a later springtime festival. And so this would be the fall festival. Now, in the Torah, uh, Sukkot, um, is a festival that doesn't seem to commemorate a historical event. Uh, Passover commemorates the exodus from Egypt, and Shavuot seems to be associated with the giving and receiving of the uh, Aserita Dibrot, the Ten Commandments. And it's uh, noted in the Torah that there are two names for this festival. Hag HaSukot, the Festival of Booths, and Hag HaAsif. Um, do you want to share with our our listeners why there seems to be this uh, dual nature of naming? Yes. Well, <clears throat> the Torah does say, Vahoshafti et Benedius for Eba Sukkot, and I cause the people of Israel to dwell in booths. So there you have perhaps a historical reference to 40 years in the wilderness, where, where, quote, we dwell in booths. Now, um, the uh, two spring festivals that you mentioned, uh, they commemorate the beginning and the end of the grain harvest, the barley harvest being associated with Passover and the wheat harvest being associated with Shavuot. We, we have the conclusion of the fruits and vegetable harvest, uh, which is the historical origin of the Sukkot festival. And, of course, that is commemorated by the four species that are mentioned in Leviticus 23, where the four species uh, are used in, in in the Judaism that we practice. The four species are used not to decorate the sukkah, uh, but to celebrate liturgically the the holiday. And there's a midrashic, a, um, a, uh, a story which connects those uh, with character. 
So, so here you do have a, a connection uh, to the uh, Exodus and to the and to Sinai through the wandering in the wilderness. But the original holiday was associated with the harvest of fruits and vegetables, and so it is a joyous time. And Deuteronomy 16 says explicitly about this holiday: the Samachta you shall rejoice in your festivals. And there, and thereby you you shall be rejoicing. You shall be happy uh, in the middle of Deuteronomy 16. So um, clearly, as you've uh, indicated, these three festivals are connected to an agricultural cycle. Yes. The agricultural cycle would not have taken place in the desert, so they would have been um, referenced to life in the promised land. Exactly right. And, you know, the historical origin of these holidays is associated with things that were occurring in the land of Canaan prior to the advent of the, of the Israelites. Uh, so so the, the culture is such that we, we take from the culture of the lands in which, in which we settle, and particularly the Holy Land, the land of Israel, and, and as other religions do, uh, we we adopt those symbols and those rituals to e- express the religious meaning that we see in our relationship with God. You know, that's an interesting dynamic that you uh, point out, that the origin of the festival is agricultural, um, but the Jewish people left the land of Israel, not of their own choosing, um, and went into exile. And yet today, the holiday remains an opportunity um, to spiritualize um, the relationship with God. Um, You alluded to the four species. So let's take a moment to speak about those before we go to the symbol of the sukkah, of the tabernacle. So um, the four species that are spoken about are a Etrog, um, a lemon citron type of fruit, a lulav, a palm fond, and uh, chasidim, myrtle twigs, and uh, aravot, willow twigs. Right. All of those are mentioned in the Torah as part of this observance. Is that correct? Yes, and they are analogized by the rabbis. To, uh, to moral qualities, a, a straight spine, an honest eye, uh, and, uh, truthful speaking lips, and a heart that is compassionate. So the four receive specifically religious meanings uh, through analogy. Right, because um, living outside the land of Israel, certainly um, prior to the modern age, would have meant it was impossible for the Jewish people in their diaspora to attain these easily. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure is the case. And just to get to the sukkah, you know, the it the the sukkah is a is just a booth. And of course it's fragile. And it emphasizes by by again by analogy the fragility of life, uh, that we are dependent upon God, but also grateful for God in this harvest season, which is being celebrated by Sukkot. We, we, many families will live in their sukkah, uh, if not live in it, 
than, than at least eat meals in their sukkah. Uh, and they are grateful to, for the bounty that, that we've received. And that bounty, of course, comes from God. So it's an opportunity both to recognize how fragile life can be and to celebrate the goodness that we've received. Perhaps you can share with our listeners some of the um, requirements of building a sukkah that make it symbolic of fragility. Um, and I would um, parenthetically mention that while the sukkah is sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacle, the tabernacle, um, as described in Exodus and Leviticus, is not a fragile uh, building. This is um, certainly symbolic of the fragility of life, as you mentioned. So share with our listeners some of the nuances related to building this fragile hut. Right. So the, the walls, uh, depending upon what kind of a sukkah you have. So these days, uh, they're very tent-like. Uh, some people use wood for the walls, uh, but it's probably going to be held up by four or six poles. Uh, they're generally not too terribly large, although synagogues may have large ones to accommodate the congregation. The roof, however, has to um, be open. It, it has to be covered, substantially covered, but you also have to be able to see the stars. And the whole thing is decorated with uh, with uh, plants, uh, things taken off the tree. So, for instance, we, we in the in in earlier days, now now we don't do we don't do it quite the same way. But but I would uh, it was the fall. So I would cut down branches off of our trees, uh, trim the trees, so to speak, and put those on the top of the sukkah, which is a very uh, traditional way to to uh, to cover the top of the sukkah. So you are open to the elements uh, and you are open to the sky and it makes you very much part of God's creation. In uh, Ontario, Canada, this time of year would be the end of the corn season. And it would not be uncommon for Sukkot, for a sukkah, Sukkot would be the plural, to have as its covering on the roof corn stalks. Yes. Yes. Out, out, out here in the Midwest, uh, where we have both corn and wheat, uh, stalks of crops right. Right, are often used. Uh, I, not being a farmer, would generally trim some of the branches off the trees. But yes, absolutely the case. When something that grows. Anything that grows, and this um, booth, um, as you indicated, is symbolic of the relationship with um, the Jewish people or the individual Jew and their God. It's a very individual holiday, as opposed to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which um, center around synagogue observance. And uh, communal uh, observance in a more solemn manner. Uh, Sukkot is about the individual and their family and their uh, friendship group. And very often people will invite friends to their sukkah to have a meal with them to celebrate the, the, the holiday. So as you say, it is a holiday of rejoicing. If I may open the subject of the last day, uh, which I consider to be extremely important, also in a spiritual way. We renew the reading of the Torah in the annual cycle. So we end the reading of the book of Deuteronomy, and we open up the reading of the book of Genesis, 
uh, which is a hallmark of the Jewish people being so-called the people of the book, where we have the constant cycle of study. So here you have another spiritual component to the holiday. Uh, it is the last day of the holiday for sure. Uh, but Shemini Atzeret, the last day, the eighth day of convocation, notice it says eighth day. Eighth day of what? It may be a separate holiday, but the, you're, you're counting the seven days of Sukkot, and then the eighth day, there's another convocation, and and we renew the spiritual life of the Jewish people by the by the renewal of the reading of Scripture. So let's just clarify that for the listener. The Torah tells us that Sukkot is a seventh day festival, right? And then um, in the Torah portions that you mentioned in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It says that uh, the eighth day shall be an assembly. And as you've indicated, it's not clear uh, to what the eighth day refers. If it's uh, a seven-day holiday, does it suggest that it's now an eight-day holiday? Or does it, uh, as many people interpret it, meaning simply that the eighth day after the beginning of Sukkot is now another day of convocation? And it's equally sacred to the first day of Sukkot, Correct. which we seem to, to, to connect the two holy days. Right. And then having um, really uh, commanded the Jewish people to this eighth day of convocation known in Hebrew as Shmini Atzeret, uh, of which there are minimum uh, traditions associated with it. We have what uh, Judaism has evolved and which you began to speak about, and that is uh, Simchat Torah. Right, right. And that's the, the festival, though not biblically commanded, but that's the festival in which um, the Jewish people um, renew their commitment to the reading of Torah by finishing the book of, Levita, of Deuteronomy and immediately beginning the book of Genesis, correct? Correct. And I consider the hallmark of Judaism, where we differ from other religions, is our absolute devotion to the reading of text. So the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are holy very holy in and of themselves, the most holy thing in and of themselves, but also symbolic of the whole life of Jewish learning, which has continued from the time of the writing of the Torah, let's say at Sinai, or if you believe that the text originated from human beings uh, several centuries thereafter, until this very day. So for us, it is sacred to be able to study the Word of God and the interpretations of the Word of God, and that is renewed by reading the end of the fifth book and the beginning of the first book of the Bible. And I think that, Rabbi, I think we also should say something about the Palms, uh, because that's in Christian scripture as well. Of course, Christianity has Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. This is mentioned uh, in the 12th chapter of the book of John, uh, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's also uh, earlier, I think it's the seventh chapter of John. But it is six months off of uh, where uh, we celebrate it, and <clears throat> nonetheless, it is Palms. And the, the, the uh, Psalms that are said 
uh, say praise God. And the way we say praise God is in Psalm 118 is Hoshia na, praise now or praise please, uh, praise please in, in Psalm 118. And this comes into Christianity is Hos- as Hosanna or Hosanna of the highest, uh, which is praise God at the highest level. So this is something that we share with Christianity, albeit six months apart. Uh, but, but in our custom, the palm fronds are used all week long. And on the seventh day, uh, if people celebrate this, not everyone does, those palm fronds are beaten, uh, and used as part of the liturgy all week long. So we do have this celebration in common. So just to clarify for our listeners, the, um, palm frond that we use on Sukkot. Yes, every day. Every day is a, is also accompanied by a, uh, psalms of praise, usually psalms 113 to 118. Yeah. Which are recited every day in the morning liturgy. And the, uh, palm frond is shaken. Correct. Right. With the, with the other species. Um, and afterwards, um, they usually have a procession as the Psalms are, uh, sung in the congregation. Uh, this is not done in the, uh, sukkah itself, but rather as part of the liturgical cycle. And on the seventh day, we have what's known as Hoshana Rabbah. And this is the day when the palm fronds are struck on the ground five times in order to indicate the conclusion of the festival. Right, right. And in the book of John, as you reminded us, um, Jesus appears at the temple, of course. It's now Passover time when he appears. Yes. Um, which would be one of the pilgrim festivals, but he appears with the palm fronds. Correct. And that then becomes symbolic of um, the Sunday before Easter. Yes. And it may be in, it may be that in Christian scripture, it's a reference to second Kings and, and something about the regal nature, the messianic nature of, of Jesus. Uh, so that may be where that reference comes from and the reason that it shifted from, to six months later. Unclear. Unclear, but as with much of uh, Judaism and early Christianity, there was a sharing of symbolism, um, a sharing of symbols which were given different meaning. Uh, absolutely. By, by the various traditions. Uh, one notes, of course, that uh, Christianity, like Judaism, is very dependent on a sacred text. Yes. Um, and the basis of Christianity is the interpretation, either literally or figuratively, of the text similar to Judaism. Correct. Right. So that's helpful, I think, for our listeners to understand that there was a, uh, a transference by early Christianity of some of these symbols not all symbols, but some of them, into the major um, expression of a new faith or a different expression of faith. 
Um, in the few minutes that are left, I'm wondering if you would like to share with our listeners any of the other traditions of Sukkot or Simchat Torah that they might see in the Jewish community today. So the last day, which is celebrated by liberal Jews on the eighth day and by Orthodox and conservative Jews on the ninth day of the holiday, unless you're in Israel, in which case it's the eighth day. So it, it gets a little complicated. Um, there is the a parading with the Torah scroll. So on the seventh day, there's, there's the celebration with the palm fronds. That goes away after the first seven days. And on the eighth or ninth day, there's the taking out of the Torah scrolls, the sacred scrolls from the ark, and the congregation will carry them around uh, and read in a series of what's called Aliyot, going up, the first part, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the death of Moses, in other words, chapter 34, uh, from about verse 5, uh, until, and, and then start again with the book of Genesis, uh, portraying in a very physical way that the study of Torah, the study of liter- of, of, of uh, the Bible, uh, the holiness of the Bible, never comes to an end. But it's a rejoicing. The scrolls are carried uh, in a uh, in a joyous celebration. There'll be uh, music for many congregations, either played on instruments in some congregations or simply sung in other congregations. Uh, they'll be rejoicing and parading and dancing uh, in some congregations, men and women together. In other Orthodox congregations, the men in their circles, the women in their circles. But it's really the happiest celebration just about of the entire year with a number of pauses to read from scripture. It's really quite fun. If someone has the opportunity to attend, uh, assuming that the, that the synagogue is going to allow uh, uh, visitors who are not members of the congregation, I would certainly suggest availing uh, oneself of the opportunity because it is quite enjoyable and quite a spectacle. Um, in speaking about beginnings and endings, um, it's quite interesting that Sukkot is a festival about beginnings and endings. Yes, right. Um, and the cycle of um, life as expressed through agriculture, Simchat Torah, the last of the fall festivals, is also about cycles. Um, and so we begin um, in early September this year with Rosh Hashanah about looking at our relationship with God um, in a more serious way, and we end it with a uh, more joyous way. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Mark Levin, founding rabbi of Beth Torah, Overland, Kansas. And I want to thank him for sharing with us um, his insights about the seven, eight, or nine-day festival of Sukkot. This recording is available as a podcast wherever you download your podcast or on the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten saying shalom and have a good day. Shalom.